0: Even before our last uh, one service, I had this idea that I really wanted to preach a message called uh, "Awesome God." I just—who uh, sang that song in the '90s? You know, can we sing with me? Yeah, let's go, let's go. One, two, three. Our God, <laughs> from heaven above. Much better than I expected. I was really, dearly hoping I didn't have to sing it. Um, I feel like we sung that song in the 90s, but I feel like we've definitely underimagined how awesome God actually is. You know, we say this word... It's a much like the word love. We undervalue it. You know, we're like, oh, I love my awesome new shoes. Well, our awesome new shoes are like nothing compared to our awesome God. Uh, you know, and you're like, man, you're awesome. You know, like, you guys are awesome. What a great night. I mean, you are, but not really compared to the awesomeness of God. It's like another word that just doesn't really hold as much intent as we want it to. I think we we take it for granted, Uh all the things that happen all the time that display God's awesomeness. You know, we stand out under the stars and we're like, oh, the stars look really pretty tonight, but wow, the stars, God is awesome. We go to the beach and we see the huge waves rolling in and we're like, how does that just happen? We we see a newborn baby and we see those 10 little fingers and 10 little toes and, the you know, the belly button and how they were fed, you know, like... <laughs> You know, like if you really step back and you really think about all the things that God has His hand on and all the things that show us that God is awesome, um, I guess we could get a little bit overwhelmed if we stuck sta- stayed on that point, because it's just it is too much for our mind to comprehend that what God does, you know, all the little things that, that God puts in place in the universe, in the world, in the country in the city, our families, and in our individual lives, you know, it's, stick with me when I tell you why there's a comma, it's, an, it's intentional, it's not just that I'm awful at grammar, though I, though I am, um, if you've ever texted me, or you know, you probably have to read it three times over just to know what I'm actually saying, because <laughs> you know how, the, my, my daughter said to me the other day, "Grandma saves lives, and it says, what is it, oh she's not even here, let's eat grandma, or let's eat, Comma, grandma, right? Is that the right place for the comma? So if we say, let's eat grandma without the comma, we're going to eat grandma. Or if we say, let's eat comma, grandma, it's like telling grandma it's time to eat, right? So grandma saves lives, even though I'm still awful at it. But the, the, the comma there is intentional because the second part of the message that I'm preaching about today is awesome God, comma, ordinary people. Our God is amazing and awesome and we are comparatively quite ordinary. In fact, comparatively, God, probably a little substandard, I would suggest, but <laughs> let's just go with ordinary. <laughs> the complexity of God, you know, is that like we saw in that um, universe clip that we showed at the One Service, is that not only, not only in the universe is Earth like this tiny little dot, also on Earth, we're in a little um, New Zealand which is small compared to the earth. We're in Marlborough, which is small compared to New Zealand. We're small compared to it all. Uh, It's not just that the earth is tiny compared to the universe, but actually we are tiny compared to everything else. But if you think about the storyline of God, if, if you think about... Um, the whole picture, imagine, imagine if there was a movie and it was about God. So it started, I mean, you know, God was there before creation, but let's just for purposes say, at creation it's, you know, this movie started and, and we're in this movie. We are probably in the background for maybe 0.3 of a second As God does something amazing, our whole life is in that 0.3 of a second in the background of God's whole movie. If we're lucky, we're in 0.3 of a second. Yet, yet, he has this massive and amazing love for us. Yet, we're in 0.3 of a second, yet he sent Jesus to die for us. We're in 0.3 of a second, yet there is nothing that we can do that would separate us from his love. We're in 0.3 of a second, yet our 0.3 of a second is incredibly important to God. We are incredibly important to God. It all comes down to God is very, very awesome, and we are very ordinary, yet so precious to him. So small, so in the universe terms insignificant, yet he wants us. He chooses you. He even it says in Ephesians uh, 1 verse 18, his holy people who are rich, that's not on a it's not on a slide by the way, before you're looking for it. His holy people who are rich and glorious, his who are his rich and glorious inheritance, So small, ordinary, tiny, yet he considers us to be his inheritance. The greatest knowledge we can have is knowing that God treasures us. Small and ordinary, yet with this amazing and extraordinary God who cares about our 0.3 seconds in his story. If you've ever watched, um, I don't know how to say his name properly, Louis Giglio his message entitled indescribable, you can just literally look it up on YouTube, it is amazing, it's very factual, it's very funny and very very entertaining very factual, just really just about how awesome God is but um, I I watched it a few weeks ago and I love I love this quote that he said I'm not trying to make you feel small I'm telling you you are small you know, somebody so sucked you and puts you down, makes you feel small, but he's just straight out saying, like, compared to God, we, we are small, yet precious. In many ways, the message that God gave me on my heart is very fitting that it's a Matariki weekend. Matariki is all about the stars, as we consider the universe and a mighty God. Matariki is a star, is the star class commonly known in the Western world as Pleiades. Ladies, there you go, that's my son. Too. I even like broke it, like listened to it on Google and wrote it phonetically for myself, but I still say it, Xavier, loud. There we go. He's the space guy in my family. Matariki rises above the horizon just before the sun does. Traditionally, Maru use used Matariki as a marker for the new year, but Matariki is all about remembering who's gone before us, it's about celebrating the present and acknowledging the future ahead. It's, it's known as a reset, as, a, as a, you know, a way to just really look at the past and be grateful for the present, reset for the future. How great is it to right now consider that as we reset ourselves and acknowledge that he is so awesome so we don't actually have to be. Not all the time anyway. You know, I think... Uh, the dictionary definition for the word awe, because the w- dictionary definition for the word awesome wasn't so great, but well, I mean it just how can you describe what a word means while using part of the word? It's technically not allowed, is it? The dictionary definition for the word awe is an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, produced by that which is grand, sublime, and extremely powerful. I think it's pretty accurate for God. Reverence, admiration. Fear, we'll talk about fear in a minute. Produced by, the grand, produced by what is grand, sublime, and extremely powerful. Ordinary is of no special quality or interest. Commonplace, unexceptional. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's us. Ordinary, sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But God is awesome. Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Deuteronomy 7 verse 22, For the Lord your God who is among you is is a great and awesome God. When God is awesome in the Bible, like when we see, when, we, when we, we know the story of the Red Sea, right? We know the story where God parted the sea. We know the story where Moses stood, claiming the promise, put, lifted the staff above his head and parted the sea. That the Israelites saw that God was awesome on their behalf. He, they saw the power of God. They saw the might of God. They saw that he was awesome on their behalf. But do you know who also saw that God was awesome? The Egyptians, And it was terrifying. We really want God's awesomeness to be on our side. Don't we? Awe-inspiring. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. My son just asked me the other day, when Tom said something about the fear of the Lord, he's like, what? Hang on a minute. I don't feel like I learned that in Sunday school. We're supposed to—he didn't say all of this, but I feel like this is what he's saying. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be scared of God. No, we're not supposed to be scared of God. Fearing the Lord, ear listening son. Fearing the Lord means to be in reverent awe of His holiness, to have complete reverence and honor Him as God, great, glorious, majestic, pure powerful. It's to understand and to stand in, in awe and reverence that God, so the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of the Lord, but it's to understand his power. It's to stand in reverence and just whew, God is holy. And the reality is even though he promised to never do it again, he flooded the earth. And, and we, we stand and breathe and speak because he wants us to. But at any moment, and he's not going to, but at any moment, that could not be happening. And we stand in that knowledge that God is awesome and God is powerful. We understand that he is awesome. Proverbs 3, verse 7: Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and shun evil. Basically, in layman's term, what that is saying is don't think that you're awesome. Know that God always—that God is awesome. He always is—and walk away from doing the wrong things, you know. When God is awesome and He moves on our behalf as His children, certainly we see the stories in the Old Testament that 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 where God moves powerfully on our behalfs and they on the on their behalf, and they saw how awesome God was, and is, as did the enemies. We also have an enemy who's come to steal, to kill and destroy. And we, ordinary us, ordinary us, are no contest for that enemy. But our awesome God on our side is. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall I say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? We live in a world that is forever trying to... Uh, build us up and tear us down at the same time. We live in a world that is confused. We live in a world that says, you know, you have to look this way or this way, you have to be this, do this, uh, get this many followers on social media, dress a certain way, act a certain way, do this, do that, to be uh, relevant, cool, in, or whatever. While equally, the world is equally spending time saying, you're enough, you have it all, be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do, you've got what it takes, you're beautiful, you've got this. And that's kind of what's wrong with us. We're forever trying to match ourselves up to someone else or something else. We're forever trying, we're forever trying to summon the strength, the energy, the motivation, the courage to do this, to be this, to... To do whatever it is that we think we're supposed to be doing in this world when really what God wants us to do is look to Him for our strength, to look to Him for our direction, to look for Him for our courage. All the things that the Bible says about you, you know how you know, have you ever been told, you know, like if you're struggling with feeling like you're nothing or you're useless or whatever, you know, Google, you know, what does the Bible say about you? Has anyone ever done that? Put up your hands. You know, what does the Bible say about you? And you know, there is a huge list. I'm not going to actually read out every scripture, but every one of the things I'm about to read you is, is, is there is a scripture to support it. If you'd like to know the scripture, it's on the notes out there. But you know, you Google it and you look it up. What does the, the Bible say about me? And I'm going to read some of those things out and I'm going to see if you can see a common thread in it. Bible says you are saved, you are complete, you are chosen, you're forgiven, you're a new creation, you're a child of God, you're redeemed, you're justified, you're more than a conqueror, you're God's temple, you're called, you're created for good works, you're safe in Christ, you're victorious, you're not condemned, you're no longer a slave, you're accepted, you are healed, you are surrounded by God's mercy, you're not alone, you are sufficient, you are joyful, you are precious to God, you are a citizen of heaven, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, hopeful you are strong you are blessed do you want to know what the common theme in those are that's right it's all about God it's all about us but it's all about God it all relies on his strength it all relies on his awesomeness and none of it relies on our awesomeness how freeing is it to be ordinary How freeing is it to understand that the best thing about us is Jesus? There's no struggle and there's no striving in being. Now, hear me say that I'm not condoning laziness, I'm not condoning sin, I'm not saying, oh, well, God's grace is sufficient, I'm just gonna go and do whatever I want. The Bible is very clear on how he wants his his, uh, children to live. He's very clear that he wants us to do everything. He wants us to have the attitude to do our best at everything to achieve. You know, he wants uh, to do us to do everything as if we're doing it un for the Lord. But it doesn't tell you in the Bible go and be awesome every day of your life on your own strength. Go. A lot of us will know the story of Moses, and if you don't know the whole story, the whole story of Moses is not actually needed for the point that I'm about to bring up now. But in Exodus 3 or 4, it takes a good part of nearly two chapters for God to get Moses to actually go and do what he wants him to do. Like, like, I, like I read it, nearly an entire two chapters where God, you know, has the burning bush and says, Hey Moses, this is what I want you to do, and Moses is like, Oh no, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, I can't do that because of this. And then God's like, no, 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 you'll be fine. Go and do that. No, I don't think so. I'm really not very awesome, God. And God's like, no, no, it's okay. You don't need to be. I mean, he doesn't actually say this in these words, but you don't need to be because I am and I'm going to help you. He's like, no, I still don't think that's a good idea. Like, sounds a bit like my conversation with God when he told me to go back into ministry. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think you should. No, You can see who won in that. But in uh, Exodus 4, verses 10 to 15, after quite a bit of back and forth, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. So he's already argued a couple of times, and God's already come back and said, mm, Yep. So we're, we're there. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never spoken, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow in speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is I, the Lord. Now go with help, with, I will help. Thank you, God, that you help us speak. (laughs) I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So he's like, it doesn't, your inadequacies, your ordinariness, your failures don't matter because I'm gonna do it, right? That's what he says, but Moses still says, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. He's like, I'm done with the excuses, but can you, just, can you just send someone else? And then the next line's not so favorable towards him. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will help you both speak and teach you what to do. God didn't actually need Aaron to use Moses. Moses needed Aaron. So is a little bit of, you know, we do need each other. God didn't need Moses to be awesome because he was the awesome one. People that are busy in this world will often have said to them what I have said to me. I don't know how you do it all. I don't think I'm any different to any other busy person or particularly working mum of a few kids. But my answer is always Jesus. You know, there's this meme going around and it's like, oh, I don't know if it's a meme or it's just like a poster thing or whatever on social media and it says, people ask, do I really need Jesus to get into heaven? And I relate to this so much and it's like, girl, I need Jesus just to go to Kmart. You absolutely need Jesus to get to heaven, but you know what? Your life would be so much easier if you took him everywhere. (laughs) Isn't it freeing knowing that we can be ordinary? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you who will, hold on a moment, I'm just gonna gather myself while I read this. Reading is not my strong suit. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy. When God called you, instead, God chose things of this world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those that think they are wise. He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the word, things counted as nothing at all, and used them, Use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can boast in, this, in the presence of God. We are so, He is awesome, and we are so important to Him, and He wants us to be part of His story. He gives you hopes and dreams, He answers your prayers. He cares about you, but he wants us to live our lives all for his glory, all to point people to him, all that he would be glorified, that he would be honored. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. To him be all the glory in the church of Jesus Christ through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but this week, I, I think I might have already said this, but this week I've heard a lot of testimonies from people in this room, people in this house of God working on their behalf. Now, we don't see God out there in the Pacific Ocean actually parting the seas at the moment but we do see God moving mountains in people's lives, moving things that they thought were immovable, uh, taking them to places that that God never thought, that they never thought they could do because God is awesome. That when a, a person stands before God with their need, with their problem, when you stand before God with your need, with your problem, with your situation, God wants to move mountains on your behalf, not because you're awesome, but because he is awesome. And what we need to do more and more and more is take our mountains to God. You know, nothing is ever solved by talking about your mountain, but you talk to the mountain, you talk to God about the mountain. And God moves mountains in people's lives. Who is, say, I just want a show of hands of a mountain that God has moved in your life, ever has God moved a mountain in your life? Just put up your hand. Say, look around the room. God moves mountains. Looks, two hands there. <laughs> God moves mountains in people's lives because He is an awesome God who loves His ordinary people. We are ordinary. We, we, Yes, God has given us gifts, talents, abilities. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, so I'm not like contradicting that. But compared to God, we don't need to be the awesome ones. And I don't know about you, but I found that incredibly freeing. I find it incredibly freeing that as a wife, I don't need to be perfect. That as a mother, I don't need to be perfect. That as an acting senior pastor, I don't need to be perfect. But that God is awesome and he can use you in whichever situation that you're in. As a student at school, you don't have to be awesome all of the time, but you rely on an awesome God. And you know what that awesome God does? Is he causes you to be able to do awesome things. He causes you to be able to succeed. He causes you to be able to do amazing things on his behalf. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Who has ever loved you that much? Nobody has ever loved you so much that they would send that they would send their only son to die for you. That is our awesome God and that is how precious you are to him. The Bible, if we had God's life as one big movie, God's Bible is a great big love story. It's got drama, death, war, famine. It's got love and loss. It has everything you could ever imagine and it's all for love of you. The universe is this amazingly massive Thing, and you're a very, 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 very small part of God's entire universe, yet so very precious to him. But I think it's very freeing to know that he is the awesome one in this situation. And we, uh, we just stand before him and say, I surrender. Like uh, Adam Frost preached on Friday night to the youth about being all in. Why, when you really comprehend our awesome God is, why would you not want to be all in on his side is, is my question. Can I have the band come up, please? Hopefully when you came in, you uh, got your emblems for communion, you know, and um, we're just going to take a moment to share in communion, to thank our awesome God for loving us, For sending, you know, communion, this, this is what I'm talking about. If you don't have one, these guys will hand them out. Just wave your hand around if you don't have one. Communion is all about remembering what Jesus did for us. Communion is all about holding an awesome God before us and being grateful. Not taking for granted that we get to be here. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love towards us as while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we have communion. While we were still sinners, God gave everything for you.